Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Welcome back to the I Am Persuaded podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening uh, to every episode that we post. And I just appreciate your encouragement and your feedback. The last couple of episodes, we've been going through somewhat of a series here on the podcast. We discussed eschatology and looking at the end times. And we basically concluded that with the last episode, ending with the great white throne judgment. And so there are some other small details and small things that will take place uh, in Revelation there in the end times where Satan will be loose and then he will be bound, and then the great white throne judgment. So there is a lot to be said about eschatology, and as I said, I believe it was in the first episode regarding the rapture. Uh, There's so much to be said about the end times to where these episodes were just simply uh, going to be an overview, and so hopefully it prompted you to get into your Bible, get into Revelation and some of those other passages, and just dive into them and study them for yourself and pray for the illumination of the Holy Spirit for Him to open your eyes to the truth of the Scripture. And so now that we have concluded eschatology, uh, we're going to be looking at something different coming in the next couple of weeks. But today, I want to post a live sermon that I preached not too long ago at my youth group on Wednesday nights. And so the audio, it's probably going to sound a little bit distorted. It might sound a little bit loud at times and might maybe quiet at times. And I probably in a few areas have some interaction with the teenagers during the sermon. And so just disregard that, just listen to the content. And even though I'm focusing it more so to teenagers, the truth of the sermon applies to all age Christians. And so I titled it at youth group, why do my classmates act this way? But we could title it for you. Why do my coworkers act this way? Why does my family act this way? And so that's the answer we're going to be unpacking and really unpacking the idea as to why does the world who are not Christians act the way that they do? There's a very biblical answer given in Romans chapter one, really verses 18 through 32. And in this episode, we're looking at verses 23 through 32. And so I would invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter one and just listen to this sermon with your heart open and pray for the spirit to speak to you very clearly because the passage that I'm going to be preaching, and I believe I say it uh, to the teenagers in this live recording, I say that it's a very uh, hard-to-preach passage because the thoughts and the verses that Paul gives us there in Romans chapter 1, verses 23 through 32, uh, they're, they're hard to learn, and it's a truth that we just don't hear about much, and it deals with God abandoning uh, lost people and giving them over. The word there in the King James Version is he gave them up. That's a very intense Greek verb, which means he lets them have their own way. And so I do want to make this very clear so you're not miss, you don't misunderstand my words in the live recording. When it says there, when I make the statement, God abandoned, it's not an eternal abandonment. God does not sentence anyone to hell apart from them refusing to believe in Jesus. So there's nothing that one person can do where God says, okay, you don't get salvation. That's not what these verses say. And that's not my heart and my meaning behind the message. What I'm saying is God will finally get to a place with mankind where he'll say, okay, have it your way. If you, And then when they understand through conviction, through the moral code on the inside of them, through their conscience that they need God, they need a Savior, then they can come back. And just like the prodigal son, where's God? With his hands wide open, ready to receive them. And so we understand that God is not a whenever 
come to me, but he is a whosoever shall call upon my name shall be saved. And so when I speak of the abandonment, remember, and I say it at the very end of the sermon, so don't miss it there either. It's not an eternal abandonment where mankind can get too far to where God's grace can't save them. We know that's not true. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so no matter how far the sinner goes, no matter how deep a person gets into sin and gets away from God, God's grace is deeper than any sin, than anything that could ever take place in their life. So I pray your heart will be open for this sermon, and hopefully it shines light on the path that our world is taking as you see various sins come up in your workplace, at home, on Facebook, on the news, and in our society in general. It kind of answers the question, why is our world the way that it is? And the simple answer is, well, they're lost. So I pray you open your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 23 through 32. If you're riding down the road, just listen. I'll read the verses, and I'm constantly going back to them. But again, forgive the audio. If at times it's a bit loud or uh, just spotty at times, and if I interact with a teenager, just know it is a live recording, and I look forward to you hearing it. And so here is the live recording of the Sermon of Romans chapter 1. Why do my classmates or coworkers act the way that they do? Let's read. We've got a lot of verses we're going to read over tonight, and um, we will skim through them because we have a lot to unpack. And I just want to go ahead and say I'm burdened about this passage. It's... Um, it's one of the harder to preach passages out of Romans. So as we're going to study Romans every night for the next couple of months, we'll probably take a break or two. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. We're going to unpack a lot of different truths. But tonight's is very weighty, and it conveys a truth that's not that easily preached. And so I want us to understand that as we go into it. Let's read the first couple of verses beginning in verse 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also, notice these words, gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of women and did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. Verse twenty eight, and even as they did that did not like to retain God in their knowledge, look at this again, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do things which are not convenient. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do for us. Father, we thank you for your mercy tonight. Father, we're thankful for this passage that we're coming to. And Father, I pray that as we understand it tonight, we unpack these hard-to-learn truths in Scripture. I pray it would bring some clarification to how things work in our world and why things unfold the way that they do. So Father, as we understand your word tonight, speak to us clearly. Speak to us individually, and Father, let us understand it through the Holy Spirit tonight. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right, so a couple weeks ago, I was on vacation last week. had a great time. Missed you all, by the way. But while we were on vacation, or the week before vacation, we started looking at this new section of Romans chapter 1. And the question was asked, why do we as man need the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so Paul begins in verse 18, speaking of the wrath of God. He's going to unpack this idea of why we as mankind, why we desperately need the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so for the next couple of chapters, that's what he's doing. He's showing us, he's telling us, writing to the Roman believers, but to us today, why do we need the gospel? Well, it's going to come up in Romans chapter 3, we're all sinful. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so he's making us understand through compelling words, inspired by the Spirit, 
why we desperately need the gospel, and why, we'll get to this in later chapters, why the gospel is the only acceptable answer for all of mankind. Because a lot of people will tell you, hey, you can find joy, peace, comfort on all these other avenues, but that's not going to give us what we're searching for as mankind. The only thing that will fulfill the desires of our heart is the true gospel, and it is Jesus Christ. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at this thought, and I kind of took an apologetics focus at it. So to recap, we answered three questions. It was going to be four, but we ran out of time. We answered three questions. The first one was, what is the wrath of God? So the wrath of God is spoken about in verse 18. The wrath of God is God's anger and his judgment poured out against sin. Against sin. So we know the original sin, or it originated in heaven with Satan, with Lucifer. He had the pride that where he said, I want to be like God. I think I can be like God. And so he was kicked out of heaven, and sin was dealt with there in heaven. And then Satan comes to earth. Mankind is created. Satan hates mankind. He hates you. He wants you to fail. He wants you annihilated. And Satan comes to Eve, he tempts her, and all of man is sent in this sin cycle. And God being holy, just, and righteous, it demands in his character that he does away with sin, that he can't tolerate sin. And so God in his character, he hates and he can't be in the presence of sin. So that's where his wrath comes into the picture. If we had an all-loving God, he would forfeit his righteousness and his uh, truthfulness. And so what if we had an all-judgment um, God? It would forfeit his love. So God is both of these positions at the very same time, handling our sin with his judgment, but also with his grace and forgiveness with offering us salvation through Jesus. So we answered that question a couple weeks ago. What is God's wrath? And the second question we answered, what happens to people who have never heard of Jesus? And so this is a question. You got a question? Okay, I thought you were we, uh, we answered the question, what happens to those who have never placed or have never heard the name of Jesus? I've read a couple of books. There, have been, there are people that trek through third world countries every single day, who, and they come up to people and they say, do you know Jesus? They think Jesus is a man walking with them in their group, and they have no idea who the name of Jesus is. And so what happens to them? Well, in verses 19 and 20, Paul says there is something called general revelation. General revelation is how God has showed the world through nature, through creation, there is a God. And so people living in India who have never heard the gospel, who have never heard of Jesus, they can look at the sun, the waters, the trees, the creation, and they can say, this did not just happen. Someone spoke this, someone created this, and they can understand in their heart there is a God. Now, general revelation does not forfeit your responsibility to preach the gospel. Because going outside and looking at a tree or the mountains or the ocean, it can point that there is a creator, but it doesn't point that there is a savior. And so that's where we come into the picture. We are carrying a special revelation in the Bible. There's two different ways God has revealed himself, through general revelation, through the world, and through special revelation, through his word, through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the gospel 2,000 years ago. And you and I are called to go and preach that gospel to everyone that we come in contact with. The third question we answered was, where do atheists come from? And so this is kind of going to feed into tonight's topic of why do my classmates act like that, or generally the overall topic is why does the world, apart from most Christians, act the way that they do? So we answered where do atheists come from? And we said there is two different types of truth suppression. So what happens is mankind, I'm going to give you that, I don't know if I can remember it. They know, but they don't know because they don't want to know. I think that's how it went. I'll go back to my notes. They know, but they don't know because they don't want to know. And so the world knows there's a God in their heart because of creation. But the atheists of our day, they suppress the truth and say, you know what? There's not a God. He's not real. There's not a creator. And so they know, but they don't know because they choose to not know. If that makes sense, it's, compl- it's 
can be complicated. But they know in their heart there is a God, but they choose not to believe in a God because they want to know in their own way. And so, through all of these different ways of suppressing the truth, we come to verse 20, look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so that's the atheist. They can have all the right things to say about how the world just came into existence through a big bang and through a catastrophic event. But it says here, professing themselves to be wise, they actually become ignorant. They become a fool. They have no idea what they're talking about because God, all over the place, has revealed his creation. Then we come to verse 23. They continue suppressing it in religious forms. Look at verse 23. And change the glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. And so tonight we're going to answer this question, hopefully, why do my classmates act the way they do? And it's simply this. It's a suppression of truth, and we can't, we could not go to a cat and expect a cat to act like a dog. They might attempt to eat the same food, but at the end of the day, a cat's a cat, a dog's a dog, right? Some would probably argue with that today, because you can be whatever you want to be in this society that we live in, which that's not right. Scripture says otherwise. But cat's a cat, dog's a dog, squirrel's a squirrel, whatever you want to say. When we as Christians expect the lost to act like a saved person, we're placing too much weight on them. Now, does it excuse the actions of what takes place in a lost person? Absolutely not. However, when a lost person is acting like a lost person, it's all they know. That's who they are. They're a lost person. And so what they've done is they have understood God's revelation. Some have heard the gospel. Many have heard the gospel and understand there is a Savior that demands us live a, a certain way according to the gospel. But they say, I don't want to buy into that. I want to make a God of my own choosing. And so that's where we come to the first point tonight. We see God abandoned mankind in their idolatry. So this is the hard to learn truth is that God would abandon mankind. Now, when you first read these, it's like, would God really abandon people? And you look at the Old Testament, it happens, and you understand Paul's words here, it happens. Look at verse 23. It says, The glory of uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and the birds and the four-footed beasts and the creeping things. Look at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up. That word there simply means abandon. It's a, in the Greek, it's a very intense Greek verb. And you find it throughout the New Testament. You'll find it when it speaks of Jesus being given to death as he's going to the cross. And so it's all the time it's imposing and giving us the idea of something being handed over and done away with. So Jesus, God had to turn his back on his son as Jesus faced the consequences of the cross as the wrath of God was poured out on him. Jesus was given over to death, verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So you say, what's going on here in verse 24? To start this, there's going to be three different verses where Paul writes, and they get worse each one. Each one gets worse. Paul is saying this. God says to mankind who wants to live the way they want to live, okay, have it your way. After enough pushing away, after enough, like the beach ball, I gave you that illustration two weeks ago. It's like you take a beach ball into a pool and you push that beach ball down. You try to suppress that beach ball in the water. What's it going to do? Pop back up. Well, that's God's truth. 
Everywhere to every person, there's a conscience on the inside of us, part of the general revelation in verses 19 and 20, that speaks to us to where we know what is right and wrong. The unbeliever knows what is right and wrong. They have a moral code on the inside of them that's a conscience. And they can try to suppress the truth of God enough, but eventually God's truth keeps popping back up everywhere. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 24 is when mankind continually rebels against God and continually says, I want to do things my own way, God will eventually say, okay, have it your way. That's a very scary place to, a very scary thought and a very scary place to be. Now, this isn't necessarily believers, but he's telling the lost world, okay, have it your way. Here's why we have the wrath of God. Here's why we need the gospel, because there is a society who's been turned over, who's been handed over to their own thoughts. Look at verse 24. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And so verse 23 speaks of idol worship. That verse, wherefore, that's therefore, it's connecting what he's saying in verse 24 to verses 18 through 23. So what he's saying is, okay, mankind knew there was a God. Mankind chose to rebel against God and do things their own way. And now mankind is actually religious. So the question tonight is not, does my friends at school or do you worship? The question is, who do you worship? The question is not, does the lost world, world worship God? No, the question is, who do they worship? Everybody has a religious nature. It's inside of us. And so whether the atheist wants to say, I worship something, they do. They worship man-made philosophy and science. Whether you want to say, I worship God, or whether you want to say, I don't worship anything, you do. You worship something, whether it's a cell phone, a sport, an activity, a friend, a person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. We all worship something. It's in our being to give all of our attention to whatever it is we have a passion about. And so what he's saying here is the first part of God's abandonment, the first part of God giving up a society or classmates or a world is it starts with idolatry. God cannot stand idolatry. And I've preached on this a lot, but it comes up in Scripture a lot. And so this is speaking of the lost world first. There are religions that pray to these fake gods, that pray to these statues. There are religions I was studying yesterday. There is a religion, and it's probably even practiced in America. They believe that for every millions of people, each family has eight different gods that they worship. So they have this belief that there are millions of gods. I don't know where they get that from, because it's verse 22, foolish. But they have eight gods per family. So whether people don't believe in Christianity, they're worshiping something. Whether the atheist doesn't believe in the Savior of the world, they're worshiping something. So everybody, even the people you know at school that act the way that they do, and you question, what's up with them? They're worshiping something. They're living in idolatry. And the sad part is, we expect the lost world to act like this. We expect those that don't know Jesus to worship, not Jesus. But what about us? We need the gospel. We have the gospel. We've believed in Jesus. But so many times we give our attention, our affection, our love to everything but Jesus. And change the, verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible, unchanging, pure, pure God into an image made like corruptible man. To birds, to four-footed beasts, to creeping things. He says in verse 25, look at it. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. So what happens? Mankind actually starts worshiping the creation over the creator. We have the creator of the world who's spoken and created everything that we know, the cell phone that we have, the games that we have. God has created everything that we know divinely, and not everything is sin. But what he's done is he's allowed us as man to have our own choice. 
We can choose what we worship. We can choose what we give our attention to. We can choose what we give our affection to. And so what he's saying is mankind, lost and saved, even saved, give their attention to things that have no, no value, things that don't matter. And so what does the verse say, verse 24? God said, after enough idolatry, okay, enough is enough. You want it? You can have it. Do it your own way. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So, what's Paul saying? God said to the lost world, uh, if you look, and I know we don't want to study American history tonight, this is youth group, but if you look at America, where it was founded and where it is now, there's a vast difference. What happened? Well, man suppressed the truth. A, a nation, you look at nations, they rise and fall in the Old Testament. Why? They believe in God, they stop believing in God. They believe in God, they stop believing in God. They rise and fall. Israel did the very same thing. When a nation starts to stop believing in God for so long, God's long-suffering. God is patient. God's going to continue to pour out mercy and give grace and help and try to call them back. But then eventually, God's going to say, all right, you want it your way, you can have it your way, and he'll give them up to uncleanness. So, a lot of my friends act the way they do. They're idolaters. They worship idols. They don't worship the God that you worship. The question is, do you act and live by the way your friends act and live that don't know Jesus? You should not be an idolater. You should be a Jesus follower who gives all of your attention, focus, and worship to Jesus and Jesus alone. All right, number one, God abandoned mankind in their idolatry. You are called to be a constant light to all those people at school, whether they believe or not, and you're called not to live like them, but to live like Christ. All right, number two, God abandoned mankind to their own sexual desires. These are weighty verses that's coming up, but I want us to understand them. Look at verse 26. For this cause, here it is again, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their woman did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which, is, which was meat. And so here it was again, verse 26, God gave them up. So it started out with, okay, mankind knows the truth, mankind suppresses the truth, mankind, God says, all right, in your own mind, do whatever you want to do. Worship whoever you want to worship, worship the God you want to worship. Well, then once mankind starts living in their sin long enough, they're going to progressively get worse and worse and worse. Look at, look at history. That's how it is. When mankind abandons God, eventually, it's a slow progression, sometimes a fast progression, it gets worse after time. They start giving themselves to things that they should never give themselves to. And that's the second part where God said, okay, you want to worship idolatry? Have it. Worship whoever you want. Then he says, okay, you're burning in your mind these thoughts of sexual desires. Do it. Have it. He's giving them up. It's a very dangerous place to be as a society, as a school, as a nation, as teenagers, where God would say, I'm giving them up to vile affections. The wording there, vile affections or degrading passions or wicked or lustful passions is what he's saying. Now listen, you're not immune to this. A lot of you are in public school, even the Christian school guys, you probably understand what's about to be said. At your school, there are people that promote losing your virginity in high school. There are people that rejoice. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Wait, why do we need the gospel? We're worthy of death. Not only do the same, but look at this, but have pleasure in them that do them. You know what the Greek words there mean? They applaud when someone sins. Okay, think about schools. Think about your classmates. Think about the ones that you sit with at lunch. I don't know who you sit with at lunch. But when I was in school, 
My, some of my friends, some of the people that I grew up with, they would applaud when someone would live in sin. They would rejoice when some teenager would lose their virginity. They would rejoice when the teenager would get drunk after the football game on Friday night. They would rejoice when the teenager would smoke and drink. They would applaud sinful habits. Look where the world is. Look where the schools are. Look where people are. They have, verse 26, God has given up a society. God has given up America to do their own thing, to sexual desires. Pornography is at an all-time high in youth groups. It is said that I believe 80% of men look at porn or have an addiction to porn. It's everywhere. So then he goes a step further and says, okay, sexual desires are everywhere, but it takes it a step further when a society is completely, God has said, okay, do it your own way. Here's where it gets. Homosexuality. Now, the question comes up a lot of in schools with probably a lot of you in public school. The question is debated. Is homosexuality a sin? Is it right? Is it wrong? God answers it right here. Look at verse 27. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. So you say, what's God saying here? What's Paul saying here? When a society gets so far from God, they start living out every passion, every desire that they would ever have. So the question will come up, is homosexuality a sin? Absolutely. God says they leave the natural cause. What's natural? God has set in motion things in our world that are natural, things that should happen, things that should be, and that is one man, one woman, in the boundaries of marriage to have what God has designed for marriage. Here's what Paul says. They'll take it a step further from just flinging around in high school. They'll try to change the natural cause of what God has orchestrated. The natural cause is man and a woman in marriage. They will undo the natural cause and try to do whatever they want to do, burning in their hearts with lust toward one another. So how do we see a society has, has abandoned God and God has evidently said, do what you want? Homosexuality is rampant. Look where we live. In schools, the LGBT flag is raised high and it's proud. On Facebook, on Instagram, it's raised high and it's refused. There's a whole month for it now. So can we look and we can say, okay, our schools, our friends, our nation, our communities here in rural North Carolina is living like this. God has said, okay, you want to do it your own way? Do it your own way. Then it goes one step further and we're done. God abandoned their thought process. God abandoned their thought process. Look at verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that, went, that they which commit such things are what? Worthy of death. Not only to do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You see, the lost people you go to school with, the lost people in our world, and even some saved people living outside of the will of God, they're not worried about sinning. So why is sin applauded in our world? Because mankind's not worried about sin. What they're worried about is some of the consequences of their actions. It was said, and I think it's very true, if a consequence to sin happened immediately, there will be a lot less sin happening in our world. But sometimes consequences take years. You see the person that has the abortion. It takes, 
It could be years before they feel the guilt and the remorse from murdering an innocent child. Someone that gets someone pregnant in high school, it could be years before they feel the consequences of their actions. And so what he's saying here is sinfulness is on every front. And your friends at school, they're not worried about sin. They're not worried about living apart from the will of God. They might be worried about the consequences of sin, but they're not worried about living in sin. Your classmates, the people you know, the people in the lost world, the way they're living, they're living that way because they have no Jesus. So it says here in verse 28, look at this, understand this. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what did God do? God, again, gave them over, Greek word abandoned them, to a reprobate mind. That word could be translated worthless. It could be translated degrading. It could be translated in the Greek corrupt. And so God has given the society over. God has given the lost people over after years and years and years of suppression and suppression and suppression. God has given them over to a corrupt mind. And so why? We, we oftentimes think, why do people think the things that they think? Why do they say the things that they say? Why do my friends act the way that they act? They're lost. They don't know Jesus. And they're going to live like this. Answer this question. I'm going to read you a list of these things. These words from verses 29 <coughs> through 31, they can be hard to understand. But I'm going to read a list and ask yourself this. Do I know people who live, live like this? People who are filled with unrighteousness, who love to sin, love to do wrong. People who are evil. People who are greedy, people who are wicked, people who are jealous. You might, uh, if you look on the news, people who are murderers, people who are fighters, people who are liars. People who are ill-willed, people who are gossipers, people who are slanderers, people that hate God. People that are prideful and proud and arrogant. People that are inventors of evils, thoughts and actions and pursuing sinful and lustful desires. Disobedient to parents, untrustworthy, unloving and unmerciful. The list could go on, but that's the list Paul gives here in these verses. Of our society, if you was to take those words... You could pinpoint this week where you've saw every one of those words take place in our world. Maybe even the public schools, maybe even on the news, maybe even someone in your family. Living, jealous, fighters, liars, gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, proudful, arrogant, boastful, disobedient to parents, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Look, that sounds a lot like people you know, I'm sure. It sounds a lot like people I know. We're living in a world that has rejected God for so long to where God has said, okay, have it your way. Listen, even in the Christian life, a very dangerous place to be is where we pray for something out of the will of God for so long to where God says, okay, have it your way. Do it your, listen, when we're operating outside of God's power, we're operating in our own power. Do we have power? Absolutely not. We have absolutely no power. We only have the power of God if we have a power at all. So why do people live the way they live? Why do people beat and persecute Christians? Because they're worshiping some false god, and they hate the truth that God brings. Why do people want to see Christians killed? Why do people want to see Christians persecuted? Because they hate the name of Jesus, because they're afraid that when they believe in Jesus, they're going to have to change their way of life. Why do your friends live the way that they do? Because they're afraid if they believe in Jesus, they're going to have to change their whole way of life. Well, it's commanded to change your way of life. Because we've been called to something so high. We've been called to something so great that nothing in this world can fulfill the desires that we have except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without it, look at verse 32, we're worthy of death. We're worthy to be killed eternally in a place called hell. Apart from the gospel, that's what we deserve. And so our friends, those that we know at school, they live like they live because they don't know Jesus. And here's my fear. Many Christians are living like them instead of living like Christ. Many Christians are greedy, jealous, boastful, 
prideful, disobedient to parents, doing their own thing, ill will, greedy, wickedness, giving a ton righteousness, sexual imperfection, sexual desires. They're giving themselves to everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we wrap up tonight, understand me very carefully. When these verses say God gave them up, he's not saying by any means God is saying, okay, I'll never give you grace and I'll never give you salvation. He's not saying that at all. It's not an eternal abandonment. It's a temporary abandonment to say, okay, see how life is without my protection. See how life is without the gospel and see if this is what you want. It's not. because 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says this. And so, it gives the same list kind of as verses 29 through 31. And such were some of you, but ye were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So notice that first phrase, and such were some of you. So Paul's writing to the Corinthians there saying, okay, you used to live like this list. You fit the bill for the definition of a sinful, wicked, reprobate, worthless-minded Christian. That was you. But, that little small word can swing such great theological truths. But you were washed, you're sanctified, you're justified, not in the name of a man, not in the name of a church, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of you. So here's the truth for those that you go to school with. There's grace, there's mercy in the name of Jesus. It's not a counselor. It's not you living better than them. It's you presenting the gospel to those that you know. What they need is not the worthless mind that they have now, the corrupt mind. They need, they need a renewed mind. How do you get a renewed mind? Romans chapter 12 tells us that. We can have a renewed mind in Christ when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe tonight, this list, this way of living, maybe it describes your way of life. Maybe a lot of you, I can remember a time when this was me. Maybe that's you. Maybe just like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, and such were some of you. Maybe you can say, man, two years ago, this was me. A year ago, this was me. Three months ago, this was me, living like I did not know Jesus. Maybe you didn't even know Jesus four months ago, but now you do. So you can say with great rejoicing, with great victory, hey, that was me, but it's not me anymore. But tonight, you know someone who needs Jesus, and the question that arises out of these verses is, do you live like them? Or do you share the gospel with him? Listen, it's very important who you hang out with. It's very important who you surround yourself with at the lunch table at school every day. If they're living apart from the will of God, if they're not even saved and don't know Jesus, you're called to witness to them, but you do not have to be very close to them. You're called to share the gospel with them, but you do not have to surround yourself with the wickedness that they take part in. You're called to shine light to them, but you in no way have to take part in the lifestyle that they have. You can share Jesus with them and then separate yourself from the wickedness. You are not called anywhere in Scripture to become like them in order to share the gospel with them. You are called to be different, set apart, holy, so that you can share the gospel with them through a lifestyle and through words, and you do not partake in the things they do. If you're saved, and you know that you are, you should live to a higher calling, a higher standard. Christ has saved me. He's given me something so fantastic, so unimaginably great. That I am compelled, that's what Paul said, I am compelled to share this message. Why? Why do we need the gospel? We're worthy of death. We're worthy of death, but thanks be to God, there's a Savior that will not eternally abandon us. He'll give us tonight the grace. He'll give the friends tonight the grace and the mercy that only he can give. So at the end of the day, your job is to witness, but not get caught up in the sinful desires of the world. Your job is to share Jesus with everyone you come in contact with.
And so when you're looking at the people at school and saying, why do they do this? They do it because they're lost and they need a Savior. Without the Savior, they're going to die and go to hell, but you have a message that can save them. So be people of Christ. Don't be living like they live according to this list of sins. Live for your Savior every single day. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer. Tonight's message is probably one of the hardest ones we'll hear out of Romans. It's truths that even I contemplated not even sharing tonight because the thought of God abandoning is hard to convey. But don't misunderstand the scripture tonight. It's not eternal abandonment saying there's so much, you can go too far without God's grace to where you go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he'll eventually say, okay, you can do it your own way, but when you're ready for salvation, I'm still here with open arms, just like the prodigal. I'm here when you're ready to come home. That's the message to your friends. But tonight, Christians, man, I'm sick of seeing Satan annihilate so many people. Look, a lot of times we'll think, man, this sin, Satan, he's my friend. No, Satan hates your guts. You know why Satan hates your guts? Because he wanted to be like God. What did God do in the garden with you? He created you in his image. You're created in the image of God. You bear his name and his image every single day. Satan wants that. But he can't have that. And so what he'll do, what he did to the original woman, Eve, he enticed her with sin to make it look so promising until it was completely devastating in her life. He'll paint the picture to you that's beautiful. But at the end of the day, he hates your guts. He wants you to die without Christ. He wants you to live apart from Christ. If you're saved, he can't rip the salvation from you, but he wants you to not witness to those people that you come in contact with. Listen, as saved Christians, we are called to a higher calling than just to give in to what the world offers. We're called to share and communicate the message of Jesus to everyone we come in contact with. So listen, those that are lost at school, pray for them. But do not, do not let yourself get entangled with their ways. You present the gospel, you love them, you don't gossip about them. If someone's living in homosexuality, you don't gossip about them, you don't hate them. You share the gospel with them because, listen, the gospel is enough for any sin. Whether it's lying, whether it's cussing, whether it's disobeying parents, whether it's gossip, whether it is homosexuality, the gospel is enough to change a man's heart, the wickedest of heart, and transform them into a Paul who loves Christ and is passionate about Christ. So let your life be like Paul's life. And I'm passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so why do my friends act the way they do? They're lost and they need Jesus. And you have a message that can share Jesus with them and they can be saved on their way to heaven. Father, we love you. We thank you so much tonight for your word. Father, we thank you for these verses. Father, there were distractions tonight. There was a lot going on, but Father, as we unpacked these deep verses, I pray that your truth was conveyed. I pray the Spirit spoke to hearts as only he can. And Father, I pray that as teenagers, we understand the people at school, Lord, they might not know you. And technically, we're all worthy of death. And so without you, we would all die and go to hell. And so, Father, let us be committed to preaching the message. But, Father, do not let us, as teenagers who are, who are influenced easily, do not let us get tangled up in the wrong crowd thinking we're sharing Jesus with them when we're actually living like them. Father, let us separate ourselves from the friend group. Let us separate ourselves from the people that we need to separate ourselves from. Let us remove ourselves from the relationship if it's living ungodly. And, God, let us tonight commit to being Christians who are sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you so much tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Again, thank you so much for listening, and I pray that this episode was an encouragement to you as you understood, hopefully, these verses in a different context and in a new light. And so I pray that it spoke to you, and hopefully it prompts in you a desire to go witness to the lost people that you know, because they are facing, as Paul writes there in verse 32, they're worthy of death. We're all worthy of death. But we have a message, like he said there early on in Romans, he is in debt, or he is eager, the Greek word is there, to go preach the gospel. Let that be your passion. You are so fired up. You are so ready to preach the gospel that even those that persecute you, even those that don't live like you, you still have a message for them. Again, don't let them pull you down. Don't let them influence the way that you live for Jesus. You let your light shine in a very dark place. And even Paul writes that to the Romans early on in chapter one, that their testimony is spoken about throughout all of the world. Let that be you. You live in a dark place. We live in a dark society. We, uh, You work probably in a dark place. And so let your testimony for Jesus shine so bright that people say, wow, that person truly knows Jesus. There's something different about them. And even in that place, even at work, even at the hospital, even at the meal, even at the sheriff's department, even at wherever, at the schoolhouse, they love Jesus. Jesus. So I hope it was an encouragement and I hope my heart was conveyed and I hope you understood it. As always, have a great Friday and God bless. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.